0: This week is Cadet Sunday, and so we're preaching on the cadet theme verse for the year, which is found in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians and chapter 3. Before I read it, I want to say something about the Apostle Paul's grammar, his use of grammar. Cadets, I don't know how good you are. At Grammar, I've never seen one of your papers. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you turn in a paper, and then you get it back from your teacher, and it's all covered in red. And the reason it's covered in red is because of all your punctuation mistakes. I don't know if you have felt that feeling. I definitely know what that feels like. If you have ever felt that, then you will be encouraged to hear that if the Apostle Paul turned in Ephesians chapter 3 as a homework assignment, it may well have come back all marked up in red. Not for the content. The words are perfect. The words are inerrant. This is the word of God. There are no mistakes about the words here, but he may have gotten some red marks for his punctuation. You see, Paul wasn't really all that concerned about punctuation. In fact, If you look at the manuscripts of the Bible, that when it was written in Greek, there is no punctuation. They didn't care about periods and commas and exclamation points. Doesn't that sound nice? It was all capital letters. All the words were mashed together. There were no spaces between words. There were no commas. There were no subtraction points for not starting a new paragraph. It didn't matter. Lovely, right? So Paul wrote these big, long, huge run-on sentences that when we translate them, we put periods and commas in to make it make sense. But you need to know that these verses that I'm about to read, it's just all one big, long sentence the way that Paul wrote it. You ready to hear it? It's Ephesians chapter 3, and verses 14 to 19. It's a lot of words one sentence. Ready? It goes like this. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for these words. Thank you that the cadets are specifically focusing on these words this year. Thank you that we have a chance to think about these words. Thank you that every word in Holy Scripture is true. Thank you that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, training in righteousness. And I pray that you would use your words to shape and form us. We pray for our cadets. We pray that they would be shaped and formed increasingly into the image of Christ. And we pray that for all of us. So would you be pleased to speak to us now, through your word and by your Spirit. Amen. All right, well, I see in this big, long sentence three main things that Paul is praying for. This is a prayer. It's a run-on sentence, but it's also a prayer. He's praying for three main things. Cadets, do you think you might be able to think what those three things are before I even say them? This is amazing. What, What might the first one be? Yeah, well done. What might the second one be? Love, yeah. What might the third one be? Fullness. Well done. That's awesome. Before I even listed it, well done, guys. You know the three points of this sermon power, love, and fullness. Specifically, we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about being rooted and grounded in love. And we're talking about being filled with the fullness of God. Those are our three points. We'll say a word about each one. First of all, power. Paul prays that we, us, the church, might be strengthened with power through God's Spirit. Okay, so the first thing we need to notice is that this kind of spiritual power comes from God. Out of His riches, out of God's bank account. That's where the spiritual power is. Not ours, not our power, but His power, right? We are not our own spiritual power generators We receive power from God. We don't create it ourselves. So think of it like this, okay? You want an image to picture? Picture a large, lush, beautiful green lawn, right? You have to use your imagination. I know it's January in Alberta, but just there is such a thing as a lawn that's lush and green, okay? Now picture on that lawn is a beautiful new riding mower sitting on the lawn. Are you picturing that? I'm not going to say what brand, because I know people have weirdly strong feelings about that here, but let's just say it's green. (laughs) It's It's a green riding mower. I get the approval from Teddy, good. Not everyone's shaking their head yes at that. All right, so we have a green riding mower on a beautiful green lush lawn, okay? And you, it's your job, you've just been instructed, it's your job to go out and mow the lawn, you go out, you sit on the tractor, you turn the key, nothing. Doesn't start. What's the problem? Well, it doesn't matter how excellent your mower is, no matter what brand it is, if you don't put fuel in it, it's not going to run. So you open up the cap, and you look inside, you realize nothing, no fuel in there, so what are you going to do? Well, I know what you would do, being a strong young man, the strong young cadet that you are, you get off your mower, you get behind, and you start pushing, right? Is that what you do? You push that mower all over the lawn, up and down, back and forth, all over. No, 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 no. You, that's not what you do, right? You know better than that. I mean, first of all, you're not strong enough to push that mower around the yard. Maybe Ryman, <laughs> but, no, but nobody else is strong enough to push that mower around the yard that yard. But even if you were, let's just say you were, pushing it around the yard is not going to make the blades turn. It's not going to get the lawn mowed. No matter how strong you are, you cannot do this thing without an external power source. Okay, now here's where my analogy breaks down. What you would do under this circumstance is you would go and buy gas, right? You got to go buy it. But God doesn't sell the power that we need. To live lives of faithful obedience to him. He doesn't sell it. It's not for sale. You cannot buy it. So here's how the analogy works. I think you've figured this out already. Humans are amazing, right? Made in the image of God. Humans are amazing machines, right? We bear God's image. All of us. Every human. And all of these machines that God made in order to function properly, in order to do our job of glorifying God and loving others, we need fuel to run. That's how God made us. And that fuel that we need cannot be generated internally, right? We need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to function properly as God designed us. We can't go to the store or to the church and buy the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not for sale. But the good news is God is just freely giving it away. All you have to do is ask for it and he is giving it. It would be like if a lawnmower came with an eternal supply of gasoline. Right? All you need to do is go and ask. You can have all you want. Do you believe that, that God is that generous with spiritual power? This is what Jesus said about that. In case you doubt me, right? don't take my word for it. Jesus said, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? The answer he's looking for for there is none. No no good dad would do that. Or if the son asks for an egg, what good father would give him a scorpion? Answer, none. No good dad would do that. And then Jesus says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father... Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him. That is a promise from God that if you and I ask for the Spirit, he will give it. He promised that. That means if you don't have the power of the Spirit in your life, you didn't ask. Because he has promised that to all those who ask, he will give it. All right, that is the first point. That is our source of power. We don't generate our own power, but God freely gives it to all who will ask. It comes in the form of the Holy Spirit in our life. All right, in order to fulfill our calling as Christians, we cannot do it on our own. But thankfully, our God is generous with his power. So if you want to be a more joyful Christian, if you want to be a more generous Christian, if you want to grow in patience, or in kindness, or in goodness, or in any other spiritual way in your life, the power is available to you. It is. But it will not be found by looking within yourself. It will not be found by exercising your own will, or your own effort, or your own self-discipline. But you can simply ask God for the power of the Spirit in your life, and He has promised He will give it. All right, the second thing The second thing that Paul prays for, for the church in Ephesus, and by extension, for us, he prays for love, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Specifically, this is your phrase that you guys have been working on this year, rooted and grounded in love. Now, let's think about those two words, rooted and grounded, Rooted and grounded. When most of us hear those two words, rooted and grounded, what are you thinking of? Probably most of us are thinking of trees, right? But trees are not the only thing with roots. Most plants have roots. Not all. Most plants have roots, but not ones like moss or algae, but most plants have roots. But trees are the plants with the strongest roots. They are rooted and grounded. So uh, just think of the difference between like the roots of a redwood versus the roots of a radish. You picture the difference? Right? Radishes don't just have roots, they are roots. Right? And those roots, they don't go very deep at all. You can bend over and pick a radish and pull it right out of the ground. It is not hard. A two-year-old could do that because radishes have shallow roots. They're rooted, but they're not really grounded. They're not secure. It's not the kind of roots Paul's talking about here when he talks about being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, imagine trying to walk up to a redwood tree, grabbing a hold of it, and trying to just rip it out of the ground. Can you imagine doing that? I promise you, it won't budge. It, that tree won't even know that you're pushing on it. Why not? Because it is rooted and it is grounded. Do you think. If you think about that redwood and how it's not moving, do you think that it's not moving because its roots are so very deep into the ground? They're actually not. A healthy tomato plant can send out roots just as deep as a redwood. redwood. Redwood roots don't actually go down all that deep, but you know what they are? Very, very wide. Up to 60 or 80 feet wide. And even more importantly, those roots that go out a little bit into the ground, but mostly wide, do you know what they do? The roots from one tree intertwine with the roots from all the surrounding trees. They all weave together, all of those roots, and they get locked together in a kind of a mat. So that when you are pushing on one redwood tree... You are actually pushing on all of the redwood trees in that forest. They're all connected. They're all holding together, and they're all holding each other up. It's not going to budge. In fact, the oldest redwood tree in the States, I I visited it. It's in California. It's over 3,200 years old. Did you you hear that number? It's over 3,200 years old. That means that tree has been growing since... Way before the time when Jesus walked the earth. In fact, when Jesus was a baby, this tree was a thousand years old already. That means that this tree has withstood an awful lot of storms. And the reason it has been able to is because it is rooted and it is grounded. And that is what God wants you and I to be like. Rooted and grounded, firm, secure, stable. Stable. Okay, trees are rooted and grounded in the earth. What are we rooted and grounded in? Love, right? Love. God's love for us is the foundation of who we are. God's love for us provides us with our identity and with our stability. The fact that God loves us is probably the most important thing about us, right? I I heard this two weeks ago. Uh, it made me think of this. It, it's, right now, it's playoff time in the NFL. I don't know if any of you guys are football fans, but two weeks ago, a particular player dropped a pass. He didn't just drop like, a pass where he dove and he, like, his fingers barely touched it and it would have been an awesome catch. He dropped an easy one. It was like one right here and he dropped it. And if he would have caught that pass, his team would have gotten a first down and the game would have continued. But since he dropped it, His team lost. You can imagine just how upset and disappointed all the fans were and all of his teammates were. And after the game, he was being interviewed. And this is what he said. He said, this is a direct quote, I'm going home and I'm going to call my parents because they're probably the only people in the world that still love me. That's what he said after that game. Now, he was kidding, of course, other people still loved him. But he was also saying something important about the power of love to bring security and stability to our lives, right? He knew he had just dropped the biggest pass of his whole entire life. The one thing he gets paid for is to catch passes, and he gets paid a lot of money to do that, and he didn't do it. He failed. He failed. And yet he knew that his parents would always love him. He knew it, no question. His parents would always love him, no matter how many footballs he drops, his parents are going to still love him. And that fact gave him comfort and strength to get through a difficult time. That's just a little picture, just a little illustration of what Paul is praying for the church. God's love for us never changes, never wavers, never. Whether you drop a pass and lose a game, whether you fail a test that you really thought you needed to pass, whether you tell a lie, whether you give in to temptation and do something that you know is wrong, no matter what, no matter what, God always still loves us like crazy. And that unchanging fact of God's love gives us stability and strength to get through opposition and hard times. But also, remember, you remember the roots of the redwood? Those roots are strong because they're intertwined with the roots of the other redwoods? Well, that too is just like us, right? When our roots are sunk down firmly into the love of God, and when they stretch out and spread out in that love, they intertwine with other people who are also rooted in God's love. And those roots intertwine, and it makes everyone more stable and secure. Isn't that beautiful? That is what the church is all about, right? The church is a forest. And all the people, all the members of the church are trees in that forest, and their roots have grown, grown down into God's love, rooted in God's love, and they have grown out and intertwined with the other members of the church. And together, God's love for us and our love for one another brings stability, brings security, brings safety. And that is what it means for us together to be rooted and grounded in God's love. It is a beautiful church. How do you know that God loves you like that? How do you know? Well, The Bible says it in a lot of different ways, but one place it specifically says it in Romans 5, 8. It says, God shows his love for us, right? This is how he shows it. God shows his love for us, how? And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how, that's how you know. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at that. Look at the cross. And see just how far God is willing to go to show His love for you. Alright, that's point two. We've covered power. We've covered love. We've got one more point to go. It goes like this. This is, our, this is what the kids gave us to remember it. What's the word? You guys remember? Fullness. What are we talking about when we're talking about fullness? Well, Paul, at the end of this big, long sentence, says... That the result of the power of the Spirit and the love of God is, is that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Possibly one of the most beautiful phrases in the whole Bible. Filled with the fullness of God. Who wouldn't want that? Filled with the fullness of God. What does that even mean? Are you filled with the fullness of God? What would it mean if you were? I think, I think fullness, filled with the fullness of God, gets at the idea of being satisfied, full, filled, fulfilled. No empty, hollow spaces in your life, but fully filled, fully fulfilled, to the top, overflowing. No unsatisfied desires or cravings. What, what, what would that even feel like? Have you felt that? We all know what it feels like to feel hungry, literally, physically hungry right? To feel empty. Teenage boys especially, right? They're hungry all the time, right? I remember what that feels like, right? You could, teenage boys never have enough food in their belly. I don't know where they put it. They just keep eating and eating, right? You know what it feels like to be physically hungry. You also probably know what it feels like to be hungry and then to have a meal that didn't satisfy, that wasn't enough, right? That it, you're, you're not full. You're just craving more. It's almost worse, than not having anything to eat at all. Just a little bit of food, but not enough to satisfy. But we also know what it feels like to be hungry, to be served a delicious meal in abundance, as much as you want, and to eat as much as you want, and to feel fully satisfied after the meal. That's what Paul is talking about, but on a spiritual level, not a physical level. We know what it feels like to hunger and feel empty spiritually don't we think about a time you felt like that it's a terrible feeling we've got these longings and cravings inside of us but they're not being met they're not being fulfilled we feel restless feel anxious feel confused we were made to be in loving fellowship with God Almighty and when that fellowship is broken we feel empty and when we try to f- fill that emptiness with something other than God, it, 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 it doesn't satisfy. We try, but it doesn't satisfy, right? You try to find satisfaction or meaning or purpose in, in, in food or pleasure or sports or, or, or good deeds or whatever, and maybe it helps for a little while to fill the spiritual hole, but it doesn't satisfy and fill you with the fullness of God, there's still this nagging craving for fulfillment, for satisfaction. Every human has felt that. And what's being promised here is that there is spiritual satisfaction, there is is fullness, there is fulfillment, a feeling of contentment and peace that's available to all of us if we'll only receive it. I think that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about being filled with the fullness of God. Do you know people like that? People who are so filled with God that they just don't seem to have any room in their heart for complaining or for worrying or for unkind words. They're just full of God. People who just seem to love doing the right thing and who love blessing others. People who seem to respond in all circumstances with joy and with Faith, I hope you know people like that. If you do know people like that, I bet you admire them and you love being around them and you want to be more like them. Well, what is it that makes people like that? As far as I can tell, those people are the people who are living out these verses from Ephesians 3. Those are people who are indwelt and empowered by God's Spirit because they've asked for it. Those are people who are rooted and grounded in love, finding their identity in God's love and extending their roots to love others. Those are people who are therefore filled with the fullness of God. And out of that fullness, they're able to rejoice always. They're able to glorify God with their lives. They're able to love others as themselves. Now, nobody's perfect. Nobody does that perfectly. But by God's grace and by God's power, we really are able... To live like that. I'll give give one one short example of someone who lived like that, and then we'll finish our time this morning. Uh, the, the, The man's name is Ernest Gordon. Ernest Gordon was a Scottish company commander during World War II. He was captured. He ended up in a Japanese prison camp. He was not a Christian at the time, but he got extremely sick. In the camp, he was nursed back to health by two fellow prisoners who both were strong Christians and who made great personal sacrifices, endangered their own lives in order to love and save Ernest Gordon's life. And through their efforts and through the testimony of their lives and words, Ernest Gordon came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he became a completely different person. And he suddenly had a positive attitude in this Japanese prison camp, despite horrible conditions. He was always looking for ways to serve and to bless, not just his fellow prisoners, but also the guards as well. After the war ended, he became an ordained pastor in the Church of Scotland. He lived a long life and he proclaimed the love of Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. Anyone. You can read all about his life in his autobiography. It's called To End All Wars. It's made into a movie as well. But when you read the description of that book, Amazon if you order it on Amazon you read it it says this that that Ernest Gordon's life is an, ex- an inspiring example of the triumph of the human spirit against all odds wrong wrong I don't think Ernest Gordon would be happy with that description he's passed away he doesn't care but if he was here he would not be pleased with that description his life is not an inspiring example of the triumph of the human spirit against all odds. His life is an inspiring example of the triumph of the Spirit of God in a human life. It is the Spirit who empowers us to live like that. That is just one example of one life amongst countless examples of Christian men and women who are empowered by the Spirit, rooted and grounded in love, and filled with the fullness of God. Can you and I live lives like that? Can our lives be an example of that? Of course we can. All we need to do is ask, and we will receive. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said it so clearly. We just have to ask, right? Even even earthly dads know how to give good gifts to their kids when they ask. And you are not, God, a mere earthly dad. Holy Father, You are the perfect and infinite, loving, heavenly Father. And so we're coming to You and we're asking. We, we need the Spirit. We are aware of our need for power in our lives. We recognize that we are not our own power generators. And so we're just asking. We know there's no lack in You. We know that You are the possessor of infinite riches, infinite grace. And so we're asking, would you pour out your spirit upon us? We need it, and we're asking. And Lord, thank you that our our identity, our meaning, our purpose is found in you and in your love. Thank you that you love us in a relentless, unstoppable, unstopping love. I pray that we would be rooted and grounded in that love, finding our identity and worth in you and having roots that are intertwined with other members of your family in the forest that is the church. And Lord, may we be filled with your fullness. May we find satisfaction, joy, and peace, and contentment in you, in your presence in our lives, in your power in our lives, seeking to live for your glory. May we find joy in you. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.